Today's reading is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You may be seated. All right, as you're seated, let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction we find in it and how it leads us into relationship with you and how relationship with you is our life. Uh, So we pray this morning that you would open our eyes again to see afresh your glory, that you would open our ears again, that we would hear your word to us, and that you would open our hearts to believe that we might live lives that glorify you in every way. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the focus this morning, as we've continued on in this uh, very, very short topical series, uh, the focus this morning will be on what the Bible has to say about deacons, what the Bible has to say about deacons. In the New Testament... There are two offices of church leadership. One is elder and the other is deacon. And already some of you went, oh, it's deacon day. It's talk about offices of the church day. And so, yes, I will prepare you. This is going to be probably more information than inspiration. But I do hope that we find in the midst of talking about what the Bible says about a deacon, what the Bible says about deacons, that we will be able to find... um, the, the way by which God actually forms us as a community where we can serve and find a home and serve one another, care for one another. And so we'll see all of that as we go through here. Now, based on the way that we see these two New Testament offices of leadership, elder and deacon, those are the two New Testament offices uh, of leadership in the New Testament. Most churches that I know, most churches, uh, not, most churches that I know, and every church that I've ever served in uh, on staff in any way, any church that I've worked with, uh, as a, a coach or a consultant, whether that be within our denomination or within our church planting network, every church that I've worked with does elders or deacons well, but not elders and deacons well. Okay? Christ City is no different. Uh, we are almost six years old as a church, and we are installing our first deacons this morning. Uh, so we, we too have been imbalanced in that way. There's a lot of practical reasons why I think we've been imbalanced in that. Um, I can make a lot of excuses as to why, but a couple of them I will make for you. One is that it's sort of difficult to discern how exactly you're to go about doing this when you're talking about a brand new local church. We've never done it before, so it means we have to think through how to do it. Here's what I don't like doing. I don't like doing anything halfway. I, that's, that's why I hurt myself doing things all the time. It's why I get you know, the workaholism stuff, and then, you maybe, then, then I go on vacation and forget that I have a job. I don't like doing anything halfway. And I don't like doing things um, that we don't do them well. And so because of that and because of my insecurities and I think my idolatry to do things well and so that it's on the verge of perfection, okay, you tracking with me on this? 
Okay, we, we have slowed down the process to figure out how to properly do this well, and that's been to the detriment of our church. That's actually been to the detriment of, con- of Christ City and the whole congregation. So this morning, uh, we're looking to fix that. Um, about a year and a half in, we started our first elder training program uh, where we have elders, and they're, they're, they're people who call, feel called to serve in that way, and so they approach us, or we approach them and say, do you feel called to serve that way? And they say, yeah, and then we move into that conversation. Uh, those are then trained for a minimum of 12 months. They are then appointed. Uh, or, or put forward uh, by the elders, the existing elders, for affirmation by you, the body of Christ City, and then they're installed. And so that's how the elder thing works. We started that very early on in Christ City, so we've had elders leading for these years. Um, but again, like I said, we are going to fix this morning the role of deacon and the fact that we have neglected it and failed to acknowledge those who are called to be deacons and have been serving as deacons but have not been named as such. And so uh, following the message this morning, installing our first two deacons, I'm tremendously excited about it, and uh, it's way overdue. Okay, there you go. First, here's how we're going to look at this. First and second. First, practically, we're going to look at how a church works. Okay, how a church works. I know some of you went, that's so exciting. It is. It's actually very helpful. Very helpful. This is how a church works. We're going to talk about how every church works. We're going to talk about how this church works and how we see ourselves and what we think that means. Secondly, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the office of deacon. And we're going to do that under four headings. Okay, the office of deacon. Character, calling, competency, and then we're going to look at the need and function of a deacon in the local church. Okay, so first, what a church, how a church functions, and then what a deacon is character, calling, competency, and the need and function of a deacon. First, how a local church works. Um, Jesus founded the church. Jesus purchased the church with his blood. He intimately identifies himself with the church. The church is the body of Christ, the dwelling place of his spirit, the chief instrument for glorifying God in the world. So that's why we're going to talk about the church, because the church is a big deal to Jesus. Okay, uh, John Stott, one of my favorite theologians ever, said the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. Okay, the church is God's instrument for bringing forth the gospel to the nations and seeing many people hear of Jesus' reconciling work and him drawing people to himself. He does that through the church. So why spend time talking about how the church functions? Okay? Because Jesus came for the church. He lived for the church. He suffered for the church. He died for the church. He rose from death and the grave for the church. He ascended to the right hand of the Father for the church. He chose to use the church, to call the church, to make known the magnificence of God in this world, to make known the mystery of redemption in the world. That's part of who we get to be as the church. Not a building on the corner of 43rd and Prince Edward, but all of us as the church. So that's why we spend time talking about it. When I get asked to define the church, and some of you have heard this before, I say the church are the people of God who are called to God by grace through faith in Christ, and then who are sent by God in the power of the Holy Spirit to make the fame and deeds of God known in our day. That's how I like to give a big definition of the church. The church are the people of God who are called to God by grace through faith in Christ, who are then sent by God into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit to make the fame and deeds of God known in our day. That's who we are, the big definition of the church. And here's how it generally functions around here. I drew a few slides up for you so that you would have something to hang this on, and I hope that it helps. When we talk about what the congregation is, we talk about um, 
all who are gathered here on a Sunday. Some of you, it's your first time here. Some of you are Christians from down the street. Some of you are Christians from other cities. You're visiting us this morning. Some of you are friends and family of people who call Christ City home. Some of you are not yet followers of Jesus, but you're seeking to figure out what that means and trying to figure out uh, who he is and what that really looks like. And so you'll notice that in the picture, the line around what we see the congregation as is porous. There's movement in and out. So this is talking about all people who would show up in a community group or on a Sunday or any way that would kind of physically identify as part of this congregation. Um, it's not a solid line on the drawing. Some who are gathering, like I said, have come in and out. And so some of you who are not yet followers of Jesus are trying to figure out who he is and what he's all about and why there's this church thing happening all over the planet and why there are billion people who worship him and why is this happening and why has this been happening for 2,000 years? And so you're trying to figure that out. You're seeking him. You're seeing, is he the way and the truth and the life or is he somebody that I can ignore? Right? You're, you're working on that and figuring that out. And we're so happy that you've gathered with us. And so on a Sunday, our congregation, it's the most diverse kind of way that we could talk about the congregation of God's people. Now, if you go to the third slide where we see there's covenant members within. There's the congregation as a whole. And then there are covenant members within. There are those who have gotten to know us as a community. There are those who we have gotten to know in that way who have given us the privilege of shepherding and caring for them. They've moved through some min minimal content online that we have available. You can find out kind of what we're all about, what we think about different things, the different things that are important to us as a ministry in the city of Vancouver. And you go through that, and then you can enter into the covenant member process where you will fill out some forms and then sit down and, and just chat with some of the elders and get to know them, and they can get to know you in a personal way. And you become what we call around here a covenant member of Christ City. Um, the members of Christ City uh, affirm the elders. Uh, the members of Christ City approve our annual budgets. Uh, they speak into all manner of things as we talk about what we need to do as an organization on that side of it. And, and who we see ourselves and who we understand ourselves to be as the church on mission in the city of Vancouver. So we would invite those of you who are committed to being part of Christ City into that kind of process whereby we know who you are, you know us, we know we can count on you, you know you can count on us, and we move into some formalization of that, and we can know who then are the members of the body of Christ City. Uh, if you're interested in that, members at ChristCityChurch.ca. You email members at ChristCityChurch.ca. You get a bounce back email with a whole system of uh, how to go about it. You get that content in your inbox. If you have any questions about it, you come and ask us. No problem at all. Um, as a side note on this, I know that there are many within the body of Christ City, and, and we are thankful for this, who I would say are standing on that line. The solid line around covenant members, they're standing on that line. In fact, they're straddling that line. Uh, and because of a different view of baptism and the view of our denomination and the way our denomination connects baptism and membership, and because of the way that you might understand baptism, there's actually a divergence there. And so our denomination would say you cannot become a covenant member with that, that perspective of baptism. And you would say, well, I, I hold this baptism idea, uh, idea convictionally. I believe that this is what the Bible teaches. And so I'm not going to give that up in order to become a member. And you kind of straddle the line. And I don't think that's perfect. But we do want to honor your convictions, and we also want to honor our denomination who are in authority over us in that way, and we want to be able to go through it. I don't think it's ideal. I don't think it's the best way to handle it. And some of you who, who I know I've talked to about this, I don't think it's the, the best way to show the unity of the body of Christ. But nevertheless, it's a situation that we find ourselves in, and we're going to continue to honor you and our denomination in that way um, until such a time as uh, we don't. 
How's that sound? <laughs> Just check in with a couple of the elders to see if that's okay. No, this is how it is. I, 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 wanna, I, wanna, I want you to like me. I want, I want to please you. This is the problem. I'm a, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. You'd never think that, but I am. And I want you to like me. And I want you to embrace Christ City. And I know that standing with one foot in the covenant member camp and one foot outside of it is not the most comfortable place to stand. Anyways, from within that group of covenant members, um, there are those who feel, as I mentioned earlier, who feel called to serve as elders. Um, those who are then trained and vetted and appointed and affirmed and commissioned to serve as shepherds of the flock entrusted to their care. Uh, they are affirmed in that way by you, the body of Christ City. So elders, I want you to note, are actually members first. And they remain members. And don't, don't forget that. There's not some sort of weird hierarchy in the sense that this is a super Christian and then there's the normal covenant member of Christ City or the normal congregant. That's not the way that it works. See, Jesus talked about how he is the good shepherd. Um, in First Peter, Peter calls him the chief shepherd. Jesus talks about the flock. He calls us sheep. He says that we are sheep of his fold. And so we talk about that in that same way. And even though we're not sheep farmers anymore, we still use that language because Christian history and the rest of the New Testament uses that language as well. So we understand ourselves as the flock of God. What we would say is that there are those in the congregation who are then sheep shepherds, sheep hyphen shepherds. There are those in the congregation who are member elders. Sheep shepherds recognize that they, are, they too are a part of the flock of God but that they have been given a responsibility to give oversight and to uh, provide right teaching to the congregation who have been entrusted to their care. And so that's the way that we understand ourselves as elders. Um, So, yeah, we can move on to the next slide. It talks about how I said there's two offices of New Testament leadership. There's office of elder and the office of deacon. Uh, Deacons are also called to serve from among the members of the body and are It's obviously what I'm aiming at this morning, so I'm going to come back around to a more full explanation of that uh, in a minute. But since I'm explaining how the local church works, uh, at least this local church, how this local church works, you can see that we have staff as well serving in a variety of capacities. And some of the staff are elders, and some of the staff uh, after this morning are going to be deacons, but all of the staff are members of the church. So there's staff who provide certain functions within the body. Uh, Some are elders, some are deacons. And some are members, all are members, and they serve in these variety of capacities for the benefit and the equipping of us, the saints, for work of ministry that God has called us to. Now, that's all preamble. To get to the task at hand, here's what we're after today. What is a deacon? What is a deacon? Uh, The word simply means servant in the New Testament, but there is an office of deacon that we need to pay attention to. Here's, Here's what I think. Deacons serve the church and the wider mission of God through ensuring the needs of the congregation are met in ways that promote care and unity and the ministry of preaching and prayer. Let me say it again. Deacons serve the church and the wider mission of God through ensuring the needs of a congregation are met in ways that promote care, unity, and the ministry of preaching and prayer. I'm going to try and use that and unpack that kind of as we go through all of this. Uh, Deacons are women and men who serve the church through practical ministries of care, administration, logistics, mercy, justice, a whole host of other task-specific roles in the body of Christ. Um, One of the ways we can think about it, if we look at the New Testament, this is our understanding of what we see here. Elders are called to lead the ministry with oversight and right teaching. Deacons are called to serve to facilitate the ministry, and the whole church is called to do the ministry together. Elders lead 
and provide oversight in that way. Deacons facilitate the ministry, but actually as the body of Christ, we're all called to do the ministry that has been entrusted to us here in the city of Vancouver. I could say it another way. Elders should make directional decisions and sort of set the vision of where they believe the church is to go, while deacons actually facilitate the full congregation's involvement to make that vision a reality. This is who we believe we are as a church. Here's where we're going to go. And deacons are going to fill different roles to make that vision a reality. And so I think this is the functional New Testament model that we see of how the church works. And if we're going to do this well from this point on, because as I've already said, I don't think we've done it well for the first six years of Christ City. um, We need clarity on the role and function of a deacon because it's vital to the health of the church. So elders lead, deacons may organize, but the whole body carries out the ministry that we've been given. So we are going to look at character, we are going to look at calling, we are going to look at competency, and then we're going to look at the need and function. So grounding this back in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Okay, notice the word likewise in the beginning of verse 8. It says deacons likewise. That's part of a key. In verses 1 through 7, we've just had the elder qualifications given. We've taught on this before um, back in in our series on 1 Timothy and in other settings. And so 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7 actually lays out the qualifications of an elder. Um, And he's saying likewise, like all of those qualifications, likewise deacons. And then it kind of continues on. So it's pointing to those character qualifications. You can look those up if you want. But there's six character qualifications in these three verses. I just want to look at them quickly. Verse 8 says, deacons likewise must be dignified. Dignified. Uh, A deacon is somebody who has earned the respect of people within and without the congregation. They've been respected by people who know Jesus and people who don't. They are dignified in the manner of their, uh, the way that they carry themselves in life. Uh, Integrity of speech. uh, It it talks about this. It says not double-tongued. That's speaking to the integrity of the speech of somebody who would serve as a deacon. Uh, A deacon's not double-tongued. They can be trusted to say one thing and actually follow through with that. They say the same thing to two different people. Uh, They're not going to say one thing to one person and another thing to another person, but rather they have credibility when they're speaking. They can be trusted in that way. Uh, Verse 8 also says they're not addicted to much wine. So a deacon does not indulge, overindulge in alcohol. Uh, It also avoids, I would say a deacon needs to avoid, I think we need to expand the idea of addiction maybe beyond alcohol in this way but take that and say that we're not uh we're not giving ourselves to things that fuel addictive responses in life and so they're going to give uh, a picture of a life that is dependent on the spirit of god Um, if you if you go to ephesians 5 uh, paul writes to the ephesians and he says that you should not be filled with wine but full of the holy spirit it's a god dependent life there's not an addiction to something else uh that comes uh, you know just dependence on created things So I think we can talk about that. There's a lot of addiction problems in our world. The Bible did not speak to prescription opiates, right? Okay, so but we can take that and we can actually know that it's there. I would say that there's addictions to technology. There's addictions to a whole bunch of things. But we're not people who primarily depend on created things. We're people who give ourselves to dependence on the Spirit of God. So I think that's marking it. Uh, Verse 8 says financial integrity. Uh, Deacon's not greedy for dishonest gain uh, and is financially content and upright. Uh, I, w- I would say, um, and we're going to talk about this in Proverbs when we get into it in July, but, but there are 
in Proverbs, there's the righteous rich and the righteous poor. And so the, the situation you find yourself in does not define um, how you conduct yourself. How you conduct yourself is a character thing. And are you content with what you have and how you handle what you have? I think that's what it's getting to. Uh, true to the gospel, verse 9, deacons are to, it says, hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They know with great clarity how the gospel shapes them and how their new identity and, and um, in Christ really grounds them in the truth of, of who he is and then who they are in light of that. And so it causes them to live a life of worship in the everyday. They are people, I would say, who know that the gospel demands a response and their response is faithfulness to God. Um, and then finally, uh, in, in these three verses, verse 10 says they are tested and found blameless. A deacon, a deacon, now the two that we're installing this morning are as close as you can get, I think, but a deacon is not perfect. Okay? They've been tested and found blameless. That's not perfect. And again, you're going to see the two deacons we install this morning, and they're both pretty great, but they're not perfect, but they're blameless. And I think that's important. They've been tested. We know them. We've seen them serve for a lengthy season of time because we've kind of messed up how we do this. And so for about six years, they've been serving around here. They're tested and found blameless. Uh, They are above reproach, uh, as we would talk about. And then it goes to verse 11, and this is interesting. Verse 11 says, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, if you read through the text and you're you're kind of moving through verses 8, 9, and 10, as I've just done, and then you get to verse 11, it sort of sticks out like it's a bit oddly placed. Uh, And and here's why I think this feels a bit oddly placed. That word there, so it says their wives, the first word in the sentence, their wives, that word there is actually not there in the original Greek manuscripts. Um, Scholars, translators have inserted that word to try and make sense of what's going on as it's being talked about as elders and deacons. It's also very interesting that you can see the word wives is the word for women. And so when you look at it, it says their wives. That's how it's translated. But if you have your Bible with you, you'll see that there's a footnote on verse 11 that says or women. Their wives or just plainly women. Uh, I think Paul shifted from verses 8, 9, and 10, talking about deacons in general. And I think he's moving now into speaking about female deacons, making the role inclusive to both men and women. And so I think it should read, verse 11, I think it should say, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, I don't go around making a habit of rewriting what the translators have done. But when, anytime you see that there is a footnote on, uh, in your Bible, as it is in mine, uh, you'll see that that's something that there's a very close alternative translation and that you can trust really with great confidence, I think, that that could be true as well. And so there's a lot of reasons why uh, Bible translators do the things that they do. And this is something that we should have confidence in. We have an unbelievably strong English Bible that we are able to read that is very, 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 very accurate. We should have great confidence in, but there are times where something like this needs to be talked about on maybe a little bit beneath the surface. And so that's why I think it says that. It's the same kind of thing that I believe is going on in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Romans chapter 16, verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Senchriai. Now, just hang on there for a second, because Paul wrote the letter to the church in Rome. Okay, Paul writes this letter. He sends it with Phoebe, who takes the letter to Rome and presents the letter to the church in Rome. So I think when we're looking at it and we notice this and we kind of look at, at, at there's something going on interesting in the phrasing. She's been commissioned to bring the letter to them. It's the same kind of thing, as I said, going on earlier in verse 11 or 1 Timothy 3.11. 
Uh, same thing in verse 16, chapter, Romans 16, verse 1. If, again, if you've got your Bible with you, you see a translator's footnote for the word servant. And it actually says, or deacon. So it could read, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Senkriai. Now, I don't think every place in the Bible where we have the word servant, we should just swap that out and place deacon in. I think you start to complicate things. But I think this is a very apt use of the word deacon. And again, I'm not trying to go too deep into the you know weird Greek exegesis that I do during the week and then bring it in here. But I think this is helpful to you. The fact that he chose to use this word, uh, I think that's one thing. But there's also great evidence in the New Testament that when that sort of formula of a blank of the church of wherever, so a deacon of the church in Senkriai, anytime that formula is used, it's actually being used in an official capacity. I think there's a great case that we can make for that. So an elder in the church of whatever, the angel to the church in Ephesus. The angel to the church in Smyrna, like we looked at last week from Revelation 2. There's something official about the capacity that's going on. So we want to look at it. My point is this. I think uh, Phoebe was a deacon of the church in Senkria. I think she held an office of deacon in that church, and she was commissioned as a servant to go and take the letter uh, to the church in Rome. I think she was trusted. I think she had been uh, tested and found blameless. I think all of those things in, in the language that we would use, I think that's true. So then he, I think he switches back now. So I think this is my take on First Timothy 3. Deacons in general, women who are deacons. And then I think he switches over to men. Let deacons each be, verse 12, the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Um, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. What does that mean? It means that if you're married, be a one-woman man. If you're married, be a one-woman man. Uh, it means that you... It doesn't mean that you have to be married. It doesn't mean you have to have children. It says, if you are, be a one-woman man. If you have a family, manage your household well. Whatever household uh, you've been entrusted to care, manage it well. So I think that's what it's saying. I think that's where we're moving. So if a deacon is married, he's a one-woman man. Uh, and, and, and again... I don't think that implies that a deacon should be or has to be married. You okay? Just a little bit of my teacherness just comes out once in a while. And I know that, that there's like Sunday mornings where I sort of just start, we were joking around about this at Soundcheck, where I start here with my volume, and then I know that it comes up here, and I preach for 40 minutes. And some of you are like, ah. And, you're, and, then, and then occasionally I, I have this little teacher thing that wants to come out, and I want to explain something really well with like diagrams. You Okay. You okay? Good. Really happy about that. That's the character role of deacons, the character qualifications, and again, why I think it's an inclusive office to men and women. Now, secondly, calling. I don't want to say much about this other than I believe that if someone uh, who is called to serve as a deacon, they will have that internal call. They'll have an internal sense of that call, and that internal sense of call will be met with the external confirmation of that call. And so it doesn't matter if somebody comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, do you want to serve in this way? And you go, yes, actually I do. Or if you come and say, hey, I want to serve in this way, and we think, that's a really great idea. There's something internal and there's something external about service in the church, serving as one of the officers or uh, New Testament offices of leadership in the church. Um, two great reformers uh, who talked about calling, uh, specifically to vocational ministry, but I think it applies here. They talked about calling. John Calvin said, if, if you... 
don't have this thing in you that says, I need to serve in this way, that this is what God's really called me to, if, if that's not internal for you, um, maybe you're not called. Martin Luther, on the other hand, said, if the church doesn't agree with that, you're not called. And I think that's interesting because there's a lot of times where, and I remember when I was first, uh, first became a Christian, started Bible college six weeks after I got saved, which was probably not the greatest idea. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to serve. Uh, what church will I be leading? Yeah, yeah. You laugh. <laughs> yeah. I felt very called to vocational ministry. Uh, that did not mean I was ready. Okay, I think it's good to have that internal sense of call. It just means that it needs to be matured, stewarded, seasoned for a while. I needed some training. I, I, I probably should not have gone out and started planting churches at that point. I didn't do that, but I probably definitely should not have done that. I definitely was given more responsibility than I should have been given, but I was also given some oversight in the things that I did. The church was trying to confirm that internal sense of call that I felt. I think it's the same when we talk about calling in anything. Internal drive, confirmed externally, that's what we'll look at. Um, Character, calling, now let's just competency really quick. Again, I don't want to say much here uh, other than there needs to be some sort of baseline inclination toward a particular area of service. Uh, Like if you... I mean, you could fill in the blank, but if you're the least administrative person you know and everything is just a disaster in your life, but you're high character, we're probably not going to put you in charge of administration, right? There needs to be some baseline competency going on. Now, that does not mean, though, that we're going to find the person who is best gifted and most able and just say, well, irregardless of of your character and irregardless of your sense of calling, we're going to put you in charge of something because you're the best at it. That's also not true. We're not interested in the best. We're We're interested in high character, and at least a baseline level of the ability to serve. And if you have an exceptional ability to serve and that high character and that calling, fantastic. We think that's wonderful. We'll bring you in. But it is not the leading thing. This is what I want you to notice. It's not the leading impulse. Your giftedness is wonderful, and we'll thank God for that, but it is not the leading thing that puts you in a role. Uh, Character is far more important. Um, Character, calling, competency, and then fourth, the need and function of a deacon. Um, Aside from Acts 6, which we're going to look at here in a minute, I would say there isn't that much about the specific role of a deacon in a church written to us in the New Testament. There's not a whole bunch. Uh, Really, I mean, arguably, there's three spots where it talks about it. Uh, Acts 6, I think, is a prototype for us. Philippians 1, Paul addresses it to the elders and deacons of the church in Philippi. And and then 1 Timothy 3. That's kind of like the whole, that's, that's all we got. And so I think we can look at it in other ways, but that's really all that we've got. So aside from the fact that um, they are serving in an area of need, uh, caring for people in a way that unifies and strengthens the church and advances the mission of God. Aside from that, there's actually not that much there. So again, look at Acts 6 with me. You heard it read earlier. Let's read it again. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews. Now just stop there. There were, there were two groups. There were Greek-speaking Jews, and then there were the Hebrews, the ones who would consider themselves there and of the people. Some of them were converts in the Greek-speaking. Some of them weren't converts. They were ethnically Jewish, but they're also from a different place. So they're Greek. That's what you need to notice. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Again, just stop. You've got two groups of widows that are from different places, and one of them are not being treated properly. Okay, keep going. Verse 2. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. There they set before the apostles. Uh, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, this passage. It shows that there was a need that was identified and how they practically met that need. There was a need. They identified the need. They practically met the need. And you're going like, Christianity doesn't sound that hard. That sounds very simple. There was a need. The people who were in charge of things didn't want to stop what they were doing to, to care for the new need. And so they appointed other people to take care of the need. This sounds simple. Amen. It's not that complicated. That's why they give us character qualifications, not skill qualifications. I think we could all serve tables of widows, could we not? Oh boy. There was zero, like somebody over here said yes, but that was it. And I think it was Dave. Okay. We could all serve widows, right? Yes. Except me, no. Should I? This is the question. Should I? If one of my primary tasks is of ministry of prayer and the word, I can, and I should in some ways, but there are also going to be jobs around here that I should say I'm not doing that. If we take seriously the preaching of God's word, and we take seriously the ministry of the word and prayer, like it talks about here, there should come times where we need to find other people to do things administratively and other things with regard to justice in the city, where we empower other people to serve in the gifts and calling that they have as well. That is not to say that the elders of Christ City should never serve in any way. I think they're some of the most exemplary servants in the church. However, there are times where we should actually say, we should focus on this so that this can also be focused on by people who can give their full attention to it. I think that's what's going on here, and I'm going to show you in a second the results. So at Christ City, here's, here's the practicality of it again. The role of deacon will be tied to a specific function that meets a specific need for as long as the deacon feels called to serve or as long as that need continues to manifest itself in the community. Let me say it again. At Christ City, the role of deacon will be tied to a specific function that meets a specific need for as long as the deacon feels called to serve that need or as long as that need continues to manifest itself among us as a community. Um, For example... What were these early deacons in the church going to do if feeding widows was no longer a major area of need in the church? Like, just do a thought experiment with me. Imagine they fed all the widows. And then imagine that they started uh, businesses for all the widows. And then imagine that they started uh, with microloans, a whole bunch of businesses that worked really well. And all of a sudden, there weren't widows who were destitute anymore. There were widows who actually were providing for themselves and probably training others to continue on doing good work. And the administration of the, of the widow's feeding program that was happening in Jerusalem at the time actually was no longer needed which would be an amazing thing to just think about, that that there was a time when widows and orphans would be taken care of in such a way that we didn't need more programs for it. That would be an amazing thing. And it may not happen in our lifetime, but just imagine with me for a second that it did. What would those 
was it seven deacons that were appointed, what would they do? Would they stand there every day just with their trays ready to serve? <laughs> oh, we're just here. We're just, man, we're hoping for some widows. The church is taking care of all the widows now. This is a real problem for us. We had a program and a ministry going here. Don't people see that we had something? No, it, it would stop and they would no longer serve in that way. So uh, think about it in this way. Imagine that it's not hard to imagine this, that a massive earthquake hits Vancouver. And one of the things that we recognize as a church immediately is that we need to appoint somebody in charge of disaster relief in the community. Um, that's probably going to be like a six-month appointment. If, if somebody's going to serve in that way, we'll bring them up here, we'll lay hands on them, we'll commission them to do so, and we'll tell the whole church, when they ask for help, you, you help. They're going to give oversight to caring for people in this immediate neighborhood and beyond in the midst of a disaster. That will not go on in a long-term way. That eventually will end, and so that role would stop, and they would no longer be officially a deacon in the church in that way. But there'd be somebody that we looked at who had all the qualifications, the calling, and the competency to do something, and so we perhaps would find another way to look at it, but they'll serve as long as the need is there. So that's how we're looking at it. That's the practicalities of how we hope to do this. Uh, So again, at Christ City, the role of deacon tied to a specific function that meets a specific need for as long as the deacon feels called to serve that need or as long as that need manifests itself among us as a community. Now, let me highlight something to you about the role of deacons in the church. Uh, Again, the Bible doesn't give a lot of specifics, but it does speak of the role of deacon in a lofty way. Uh, I say that because of the clear character and spiritual qualities that needed to be found among those who were put into that role in Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3. Uh, They are clearly servant-hearted women and men of high character, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who are ready to meet practical needs in a loving way. In Acts 6, uh, the issue was physical neglect of some widows in the church and preferential care of others. It was an issue of ethnic preference or discrimination. And because of that, deacons were employed to the scene. So what do you think happens when the church is divided down ethnic lines and you employ deacons to come in? The church becomes unified again. Because of the work of the deacons, the church could be unified. They could be strong. People felt cared for and practically were cared for. The issue was physical neglect that came from spiritual disunity. But do you notice the outcome of the work? Did you notice at verse 7? It led to the unity and the strengthening of the church and the increase of the word of God in the city. This is what it says in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. Can I, can I change that for you? The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Vancouver. Isn't that what we want? We want that so much that it's sort of crazy that we waited six years to do this, right? This is what we want. This is what we want in the church. And I want you to notice that this came into fruition because of the work of the deacons. That's the result of having healthy deacon ministry in the church. And so I'm so thrilled that we're finally able to do this. Um, in the end, in the end, this is all about Jesus. It's about his name being made known. It's about people encountering him in real ways. It's about us preaching the gospel in word and deed. It's about us caring as a community. Serving tables was not looked highly upon in the first century. It was lowly work that nobody wanted to do. It actually kind of pushed you down into the social strata. Jesus changed the game. Jesus flipped that on its head. Serving tables, doing the menial work of a slave, washing feet, for instance, was not work that was looked highly upon, yet Jesus did this in John 13. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also, uh, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, we serve a Lord who took off his outer garments to serve his disciples as an example and a model of what we should do as it came. We also serve a Lord who went to the cross and served us in the ultimate way. And so we have all been served by Jesus. And I think we should then hold in high esteem those who are serving us in this official capacity. So with that said, I would like to welcome Ruth Fast, and I would like to welcome Michelle Siebert to come up and join me on the platform. I'd also like to welcome the elders who are here. Can you guys come on up? Ruth Fast, Michelle Siebert. Um, Michelle is doing uh, uh, regular uh, things around here. Uh, she's leading worship this morning. She's overseeing kids' ministry right now through the wonderful team she is empowered to do so. And um, she's not just a double threat. She's actually a triple threat. Um, she can also dance. <laughs> uh, Ruth Fast has, for I think the entirety, really, of, uh, of our church plant, which is now six years old, uh, has overseen uh, leading the women's Bible study and really given a lot of care and mentorship to women in the church. And uh, we just want to honor you both for the contributions that you have made. I want to say, and I've said this to you privately, but I want to say publicly, sorry for not acknowledging that earlier in a public way. Um, we know that people know who you are and you're thought highly of, and, and you are greatly honored in this community, but we want to do so by installing you officially as deacons today. It's our great joy to be able to do this. And so uh, would you take one step forward? I know neither of you really want to do that. And let these elders come behind you. We are going to lay hands on you today. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And uh, you can respond with, by God's grace, I do, if you agree. And we would have the joy of praying for you following. To express your acceptance of this office here in the presence of God and his church, we do ask you to answer the following questions. Do you believe that God himself is calling you to this holy office of service? By God's grace, I do. Do you believe... That the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God, the only authoritative rule of faith and life. By God's grace, I do. Do you promise to do the work of your office faithfully in a way worthy of your calling and in submission to God? By God's grace, I do. Then let me pray. Let's lay hands on these two. May God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to this office of service, guide you by his word, equip you with his spirit, and so prosper your ministry that his church may increase and that his name be praised. May this step of obedience to scripture that we are seeking to take today, God, may that uh, honor you. May it honor what you have communicated to us about what it means to be the church. And our prayer is that as we uh, install and release deacons to continue to do ministry here today and then even beyond in many other roles in this church, may your word increase in this city and may many disciples be made. May many people come to know you through the work of their hands, we pray. And we pray this all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Would you welcome your new deacons? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Would you stand with me as we respond today? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.